Welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. Let's get into this week's message. Well, tonight I want to deal with what I alluded to this morning, and that is uh, dealing effectively with our failures. Uh, I really like to think that there's two essentials to long-term healthy marriages, or any close relationship for that matter. One is that we have to learn to keep love alive in the relationship, and that's what I addressed this morning. The second is this, we have to deal effectively with our failures. Now, the reason I say this is an essential is because none of us are perfect. Now, one, one husband did raise his hand when the speaker said, does anyone know of a perfect husband? He shot his hand right up. He said, my wife's first husband. My observation is if there are any perfect husbands, they are deceased. And most of them got perfect after they died. There are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives. You don't have to be perfect to have a healthy long-term marriage. But we do have to deal with our failures. And that involves apologizing and forgiving. Now, the Bible is really big on this. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, that's true with God, but that's also a principle in human relationships. If we act like, you know, no big deal, that the relationship's not going to prosper. Then this verse, Isaiah 59, uh, verse 2 but your iniquities, he's talking to Israel, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he cannot hear you. You see, when we sin, we create a barrier between us and God. And the barrier does not go away with the passing of time. It goes away when we confess our sins to God and then he forgives our sins. And now our relationship can go forward. The same principle is true in a marriage relationship. Whenever we offend each other, we create an emotional barrier between us. And if we don't deal with it, it just sits there. Then there's another event, and then another barrier. And we build walls between us. And some of your friends now have a long wall, high and thick. And it's hard to communicate over a wall and through a wall. And that's why they feel isolated from each other. Jesus was so big on this that here's what he said. And this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, he sent you, know, you leave your gift there in front of the altar, you first go be reconciled to your brother, and then you come back and offer your gift. Now put that in our culture. So you come to church on Sunday morning, and you remember that you sinned against someone. Jesus said, leave the church. Go be reconciled and then come back. I've often wondered how many people might leave the church on Sunday morning if we practice that. I had a pastor say, he said, Dr. Chapman, he said, I can illustrate that. He said, my wife and I were driving to church one Sunday morning and I spoke kind of harshly to my wife and then there was silence. I let her out. She came in the church. I parked the car. I went to my office and then I came out and I was sitting on the front row. She was singing in the choir. And he said, in my heart, oh, you're a hypocrite. You're preaching to all these people, and then look what you just did to your wife. So he said, I, I caught her eye, 
and I just kind of motioned, and she knew what I meant. So she left the choir and went out in the hallway, and I left and went out in the hallway, and I apologized to her. And I said, honey, I hope you can forgive me. And she said, honey, you know I'll forgive you. He said, thank you, now I can go preach. But he was practicing exactly what we're talking about. He was dealing, dealing with it. So this involves apologizing and forgiving. So I want to ask the question, where do we learn to apologize? Typically from our parents. Little Johnny pushes his sister, and his mother says, Johnny, don't do that to sister. Go tell her you're sorry. So little Johnny says, I'm sorry, even if he's not. I'm sorry. He's 23. He's 24 now. He's married, and he offends his wife. What's she going to say? I'm sorry. So we learn from our parents. Now, what we discovered is about 10% of the population in this country almost never apologizes for anything. And most of them are men. And they learned it from their father who said to them, real men don't apologize. Now, we know where their fathers got that. John Wayne, that great theologian, real men don't apologize. And, you know, I, I say to guys when they tell me that, I say, you know, guy, your dad probably did the best he could, but your dad had bad information. Real men do apologize. In fact, real men will never have a long-term healthy relationship. They can have a long-term relationship, but it won't be healthy if they don't learn to apologize. So, but most of us learn something about apology from our parents. It was very interesting what gave birth to, uh, to this lecture and to the book on the five apology languages. A counselor in my city made an appointment to see me. And when my assistant told me that she had made an appointment to see me, my first thought was, oh no, not another counselor having marriage problems because counselors are people too. But she didn't have a problem. She came and she said, Gary, she said, I've been using the five love languages for years in my counseling. It's been so helpful. She said, but I believe people have an apology language. I said, what do you mean? She said, I think that what one person considers to be an apology is not what another person considers to be an apology. And I think people are missing each other when they try to apologize. And as soon as she said it, I resonated with it because they've been in my office for years arguing over whether or not one of them apologized. She would say, I would forgive him if he would just apologize. And he would say, I did apologize. You didn't apologize. I told you I was sorry. That's not an apology. So they're arguing over whether or not he apologized. And so I said to her, you know, I think you got an idea there. What do you want to do with it? And she said, well, I was hoping you and I might write a book on, it, on this topic. I said, well, we'll have to do some research and see if it's true. So we did two years of research trying to figure out what does a sincere apology look like? And, uh, and, and, and here's what we discovered after two years of research. I guess you have that picture. I don't know. <laughs> if you can pull this off, they're going to know that you're sincere. <laughs> well, actually what we did is we asked thousands of people all over the country two questions. The first question was this. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? Second question. When someone apologizes to you, what do you want to hear them say or do? And their answers fell into five categories. Now, I promise you, we were not looking for five. I like five, but we weren't looking for five. 
and we later call them the five apology languages. So I want to share these with you and see if you can identify with some of them. Chances are uh, at least one of these will identify with you. Maybe more than one will identify, you, you will identify with, okay? So the first one is expressing regret. Expressing regret. Often with the words, I'm sorry. But don't ever use those two words alone. Tell them what you're sorry for. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. I'm sorry that I came home an hour and a half late. I know you wanted to go to the meeting and now we've missed the meeting. If you simply say to the other person, I'm sorry, they may well be thinking, you certainly are. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say? You think you're apologizing, they think you're giving a character report. Tell them what you're sorry for and don't ever add the word but. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you, but if you had not, then I would not. And now you're no longer apologizing. Now you're blaming them for your poor behavior. And some of you, I'm guessing, have the habit of putting the butt in there. So I'm going to tell you how to break that habit. The next time you hear yourself saying to your spouse or anyone else, I'm sorry that I da-da-da-da-da, but you stop right there and say, excuse me, erase the butt. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. And you will not erase it, but about three times, and you'll break that habit. Here's examples of that in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, verse 21. This is the prodigal son who's wasted all of his inheritance. He says to his father, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you could just give me a job on the farm, Dad. You feel the regret in his voice? He, he he's deeply regrets that he's done what he's done. And then here, here's David who says this, Psalm 51, verse 17, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You come to God with a broken heart, I don't care what you've done. If you come with a broken heart regretting what you've done and pour your heart out to God, he will forgive you. And this is one of the ways that we express an apology on the human level, is trying to communicate to them I feel badly about what I've done. I'm hurting because I hurt you, expressing regret. A second one is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. Should not have done that. No excuse for that. I accept full responsibility. Incidentally, this is the first step in teaching a child how to apologize. Help them accept responsibility for their behavior. A four-year-old breaks a cookie and says, it broke. It broke. And the parent says, honey, let's say that a different way. I broke the cookie. It's not a sin to break a cookie. We're just helping the child accept responsibility. I broke the cookie. My son was probably six or seven. We were in the kitchen together. He accidentally knocked the glass off the table. It hit the floor and broke. And when I heard it, I turned and looked at him. And he said, it did it by itself. <laughs> and I said, Derek, let's say that a different way. I accidentally knocked the glass off the table. And he said, I accidentally knocked the glass off the table. It's not a sin to accidentally knock a glass off the table. I'm just trying to help him accept responsibility for his behavior. I was wrong. You see, some of us have trouble with this, and I'll tell you those who have the most trouble is those who grew up in a home 
where their parents seldom ever commended them for doing right, but they always pounced on them for doing wrong. And something inside their brain said, if I ever get to be big, I'll never be wrong again. And so they have a hard time acknowledging that they're wrong. I remember years ago, I uh, got up one morning and the kids were, I was getting ready to take the kids to school. And I said to my wife, uh, I said, Carolyn, honey, I said, Carolyn, where's my briefcase? And she said, I haven't seen it. I said, it was in there by the dresser. I mean, you must have moved it. And she said, Gary, I haven't seen your briefcase. I said, Carolyn, think. I got to get the kids to school. Think. I need my briefcase. I raised my voice. I was yelling at my wife. Can you believe that? Me yelling at my wife. I was nice to the kids. You know, have a nice day. Da 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 da. But when I got rid of the kids, I drove to the church where my office is, thinking, how could I have married such a scatterbrained woman? I mean, this time she's lost my briefcase. Everything I own is in my briefcase. This was before computers. My schedule, everything was in my briefcase. When I got to church, I didn't go in by all the administrative assistance to my office. I went in the back door to my office. Folks, when you've sinned, you don't want to see people. You don't want to do what Adam and Eve did, get you a bush and hide behind it and hope God won't see you. I went in the back door to my office. And I walked in, and there's my briefcase. <laughs> now I have an option. I can say to myself, I'm not going to let her know it was out here. Or I could practice what I'm teaching. And if I had done the former, I would not be using this for an illustration. <laughs> so I called her. I said, hi, honey. Uh, I, I found my briefcase. She didn't say anything. She knew there ought to be more to it than that. And I said, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, honey, that, that, I, that I yelled at you. I was wrong. Uh, they're not easy. Let's just see if you can, we can all say that together. I was wrong. Let's try it. I was wrong. Oh. See, some of you had trouble even on a dry run. I was wrong. Listen again, Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. This is again the prodigal son. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 21. Talking to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Incidentally, when you sin against your spouse, you sin against God. When the Bible says be kind to one another, and we're not kind, we're sinned against God. We've broken his law. So we have to apologize to God and then apologize to our spouse. And then 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The word confession means to agree with. If I hold up this pen and I say to you, this is a pen, and you come closer, and you examine it, and then you say to me, you know, Gary, you're right. That is a pen. You're agreeing with me. Well, when we confess our sins, it means we agree with God that it's wrong, and we agree with our spouse that it's wrong. Now, I've had men say to me, Dr. Chapman, how can, you, how can I say I was wrong if I don't think I was wrong? Look, don't, don't, don't get hung up on whether it was morally wrong. If what you did or didn't do hurt your spouse, then in that sense, it's wrong. It may not be sinful, but it's wrong. And so don't get hung up and say, well, it wasn't a sin. It wasn't a sin. You know, but, it, but if it offended the hurt, it hurt the relationship, and it, we've got a barrier between us. I'll give you an example. I came home. I'd been speaking somewhere, and I came home, and they had delivered the day before uh, a chair that my wife had, had re-upholstered. And I was sitting in the chair the next morning, 
And she walked in and said, honey, how do you like the new cover? And without thinking, I said, well, honey, I like it, but to be honest, I like the old cover better. And she broke into tears. I can't believe you don't like it. I spent two months going all over town trying to find the right material, and now you don't like it. Now, folks, what I said was not a sin. It was just stupid. Okay? I spoke without thinking. And I didn't know anything about apology languages in those days, but I just told her, honey, I am so sorry. Oh, honey, I have, that, 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 that was just stupid of me. You know, and I, and I poured my heart out, and she forgave me. You know. So, uh, accepting responsibility. Number three is making restitution or offering to make restitution. What can I do to make this right? What can I do to make this right? Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 8. This is Zacchaeus. Remember, he was a Jew working for the Roman government, a tax collector, taking people's money, putting it in his pocket. But after he encountered Jesus, here's what he said. Lord, if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them back four times what I took. That is restitution, offering to make restitution. It was very interesting. Uh, Before we published this book, I sent it to a counselor friend of mine in California. I said, would you just read this and give us feedback? He He came back, he said, Gary, man, this thing's helping me and my wife. He said, uh, I read that number one, I'm sorry, and I knew that that's what I considered to be an apology. So for 15 years, what have I done when I hurt my wife? I tell her I'm sorry. He said, but it's always seemed that she couldn't let it go. She just seemed like she had a hard time forgiving me. We got to this one, and my wife said, this is what I've been waiting for for 15 years. You have never, ever offered to make things right. He said, Gary, never crossed my mind. He said, but now I do. I'll still tell her I'm sorry, but then I say, honey, let me make it up to you. How can I make it right, honey? And he said, she always has an idea. (laughs) And when I do it, she can let it go. You see, in her mind all these years, his apology has been lame. It just didn't seem like a real sincere apology to her. Uh, So... uh, now, for example, I know you guys would never do this, but let's just say that you forget your anniversary. No flowers, no candy, no dinner, nothing. And you're sitting there that night and look over on the couch and she's crying. And you say, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe you don't know what's wrong. <laughs> and it dawns on you. I doubt I'm sorry is going to hack it. But if you say to her, oh, honey, oh, honey, I have blown it big time. Oh, honey. You know, on Monday, I was going to make reservations at da-da-da-da-da, and, and, I, and then I got, oh, honey, oh, honey, oh, honey, I, oh, I have blown it big time, honey. But, 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 but look, honey, uh, 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 we can still celebrate. I know we can't do anything tonight, but we can still celebrate. What, what would you like to do, honey? Let, let me make it. Let's celebrate. She'll have an idea. Little trip to Hawaii or something like that. She'll have an idea. Yeah, she'll have an idea. For some people, this is what they consider to be a sincere apology. Incidentally, if you own a business, this one is huge in business. Let's say you run a restaurant, okay? And I'm your customer, and I come in, and I've ordered my meal, and the waiter or waitress comes out, and they spill something on my clothing. 
And they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And they get some paper towels and, and give it to me and I wipe it off. And if that's all that happens, I probably won't go back to that restaurant. But if the manager comes out and says, I understand we had an accident out here and my, my waiter or my waitress is really upset about it. Uh, oh man, that was, that's bad. Uh, look, we really value our customers. And the first thing I want to say is, this meal is on us. That's the least we can do. This meal is on us. And if you have any idea what it will cost to get your clothing clean, I want to give you cash tonight so you can take care of it. You'll go back to that restaurant because they offered to make restitution. So this is huge in all human relationships. But it's, it, for some people in a marriage, it's really, really key. Then uh, number four is genuinely repenting. In other words, expressing the desire to change your behavior. The word repentance means to turn away from. You know, all of us, if we're Christians, we all repented. You're living your own life, doing what you want to do, when you want to do it. You get to the end of the road and realize that your life is in a mess. You turn away from that lifestyle. You run to the cross. You accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you're going in a total different direction now. That's repentance. I was sharing this in the counseling office, and a lady said, Dr. Chapman, I can give you a perfect example of that in our marriage. She said, several years ago, when our baby was about 16 or 17 months old, my husband was taking care of the baby, and I was doing some other things in the house, and the baby started crying, and he did everything he could to get the baby to stop crying, and the baby just kept eating screaming and yelling, he pacified and everything else, and he lost his temper with our baby, and he picked up our baby and started shaking our baby. And when he did, I grabbed our baby and said, don't do that to our baby. And I ran to the bedroom just sobbing. And she said, 10 or 15 minutes later, he knocked on the door and asked me if he could come in. And he walked in and he started crying. And he said, honey, I can't believe I did that. You know, I love our baby. I don't ever want to do that again. Can you help me? I just can't believe I did it. And I don't ever want to do it again. Honey, can you help me? Can we think of a way so I will never do that again? She said, Gary, I sensed he was so sincere that I forgave him, even though what he did was horrible. She said, we sat there and we talked. We came up with a very simple plan that if he ever felt himself about to lose his temper with one of our children, he would simply say to me, honey, I'm hot, I gotta take a walk. I would know what that meant, and I would take over. And he would take his walk and cool off. He'd take, and then he'd come back. He didn't walk all night, he'd come back. He'd say, okay, honey, I think I'm under control. What can I do to help you? He'd plug back into the evening. She said, Gary, that was eight years ago. He's never lost his temper with one of our children since. He's taken quite a few walks, but he's never lost his temper. You understand? For some people, if you don't express the desire to change your behavior, in fact, I had a lady say to me just not long ago in my counseling office, she said, Dr. Chapman, every time he does it, he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he does the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She said, that means nothing to me. If he's sorry, why doesn't he change his behavior? So this, this is huge for some people. The Bible is really big on this. This is Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. 
Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost to the people who killed Jesus. And here's what he said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself came preaching repentance. Repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible's big on repentance. And then number five is actually requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Now, I have to be honest. This one was not on my radar. I thought if I'm apologizing in any manner, would you not know that I want to be forgiven? Why would I be apologizing? But for some people, they're waiting for you to request forgiveness. And if you don't request forgiveness in their mind, you're not sincere in your apology. My co-author was sharing this concept with her mother. And her mother said, I can give you a perfect example of that with a friend I have at work. She said, we have been close friends for 15 years. I mean, really close friends. And I noticed that the last two or three days, she had seemed rather cold. And so at a break time, I said to her, is everything all right between you and me? Incidentally, that's the way friends talk. And that should be the way couples talk. If you think there's something wrong because of your spouse's behavior, you just ask, honey, is everything all right between you and me? And she said, so I asked her that, and she said, you know one of the things that bothers me about you? You don't ever apologize. Her mother said, I was shocked. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you remember two weeks ago when da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And she said, yes, I do remember that, but I told you I was sorry. And the lady said, I know, but you didn't ask me to forgive you. And her mother said, I was shocked again. And I said, well, then let me ask you to forgive me. I value our relationship, so will you please forgive me? And the lady said, sure. <laughs> it's not that she didn't want to forgive her. It was in her mind her mother had not apologized. So for some people, this is big. Here's an example of that in the Bible, Psalm 51, verse 2. This is David after his sins. He's talking to God. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Three different ways David is asking God to forgive him. It's very biblical to ask God to forgive you, and it's very biblical on the human level to ask a person to forgive you. So here's the basic idea. Uh, it's very similar to the love language, is that each of us has a primary apology language. Each of you have an idea of what a sincere apology looks like. Now, it may not be just one of these. It may be a couple of these. But, but you have an idea of what a sincere apology ought to sound like and look like. But chances are your spouse has a different idea because they had different parents. And they have another idea of what a sincere apology so looking back on your relationship, if you've been married a while, you may in your mind be saying along the way, you know, their, their apology is just lame. That's all I can say. It's just a lame. It, it, it doesn't connect with me. It just, it just doesn't seem to be sincere. Well, I'm explaining to you why it doesn't seem to be sincere. Because they're speaking one of these or maybe two of these, but yours is something else. What makes you judge that they're sincere is, is something else. So can I challenge you, if you're married, to go home and, and think about this and talk about this and ask your spouse, honey, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you grow up 
what were you taught? And, and what, you know, what, what do you think of sincere apology? Chances are you can, you'll verbalize it and you'll realize you have two different ideas on what a sincere apology looks like. And then now that you have that information, you can begin to learn how to speak apologies that are going to be meaningful to that person. Incidentally, after the book came out, my co-author began to pay attention to public apologies that people sometimes make on television and other places. And, and, and here's one of them. They say, if my, if my behavior or my speech offended anyone, I'm sorry, which is not an apology at all. It's just saying, if you're so thin-skinned that you got hurt by what I said, well, then I'm sorry, you know. Uh, and then here's the other thing she found. Almost no one in a public apology included all of these. They would include one or two, and that's why some people would say, well, I thought he was, a, I thought he was sincere, didn't you? And the other person said, what are you thinking? What are you talking about? See, so we, we, we judge whether they're sincere or not, whether it's connecting with us as an individual and, and what we consider to be a sincere apology. It's very interesting. I was giving a lecture on this before the book came out to a group of single adults. And after it was over, a young couple came up to me. I found out later they were engaged to each other. His name was Carl, and he said, uh, he said Dr. Chapman, he said, uh, I'm not glad I came to this meeting. I said, really? He said, yeah, we sat back there after you talked and we just discussed this, and she tells me that what she considers to be a sincere apology is for me to say that I'm sorry. He said, I've never said those words. And he said, it sounds kind of girly to me, and I don't think I can do that. So what's that going to mean when we get married? I said, well, Carl, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done anything in your whole life that you regretted doing? He said, well, yeah. I said, well, can you tell me one of them? He said, well, when my mother died, I came home for the funeral. And the night before the funeral, he said, I went out to a bar. He said, I was just going to get a beer, but he ended up getting drunk. And the next morning at my mother's funeral, I had such a hangover that I don't remember anything that, was, that happened at my mama's funeral. And I've always regretted that. I felt like I let my mama down because she was always on my case about drinking too much. And I just felt like I let mama down. I said, well, Carl, if you could talk to your mother right now, what would you say to her? He started crying. He said to her, Mommy, I'm so sorry I went to the bar. I didn't mean to get drunk, Mama. I really didn't, Mama. I'm just so sorry for what I did, Mama. And I hope you'll forgive me. And he got through. He said, you think she heard me? <laughs> I don't know what you pastors would tell him, but I'm going to tell you what I told him. I said, Carl, I think your mama heard you, buddy. And I think your mama forgave you. You know, the Bible does say there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Didn't say the angels were rejoicing. said rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Maybe, maybe God does call mamas over. Look at your boy down there. Look at your boy down there. I don't know, but that's what I told him. <laughs> a year later... I was doing a marriage conference in that, in that same town, and, and Carl and his, his wife now, they showed up, and they came in that morning and came down the front to see me. He said, Dr. Chapman, I don't know if you remember, remember me or not. I said, Carl, I'll never forget you, man. <laughs> he, said, I said, he said, well, we're married now, and so we came back. We want to just learn some things that are going to help us grow. And I said, well, I'm so glad you're here. And I looked at her, and I said, does Carl know how to say I'm sorry? 
And she smiled and said, yes, Dr. Chapman, he, he does, and he's a good apologizer. I said, does he speak your love language? She said, oh, my love tank's full. And then I turned it around the other way. Because I really believe these two things go together, keeping the love tank full and keeping the barriers uh, away from, from us. So uh, if you want to communicate your sincerity, then you learn how to speak your apology in a language that's going to be meaningful to the other person. You make it a lot easier for them to forgive. Now, apology alone does not restore a relationship. There has to be a response to an apology. And the biblical response is forgiveness. Well, let me, let me give you this first. How do you discover your primary apology language? Let me just give you three simple things. Number one, ask yourself the same question we ask thousands of people. When I apologize, what do I typically say or do? I mean, look back and, and think about the last time you apologized to anyone. What did you say? If you can't remember the last time you apologized, you may well be overdue, okay? Second question is this. In a given situation, you ask this question, what hurts me most deeply about this situation? If you say, well, what hurts, what hurts me most deeply is they won't admit that they're wrong. I mean, they said they were sorry, but they won't admit that they're wrong. That's what bothers me. They won't accept responsibility. You're telling yourself that you consider that to be a part of a sincere apology. Uh, a third question, what could they say or do that would make it easier for me to forgive them? You answer that question, and you're telling yourself what you consider to be a sincere apology. If you say, well, what, makes, what, what, would, what would make it so much easier if they would just ask me, you know, how can I make it up to you? How can I make it right? I mean, they, they just don't seem to be accepting responsibility to try to make things right. So that, that'll help you. Incidentally, at the website I gave you this morning, fivelovelanguages.com, there is a quiz, a free quiz uh, on apology. And I would suggest you go home tonight or tomorrow and, and you take that quiz. Take it individually and then share with each other. Well, it, it tells you your first and second, the ones that you feel important, and share it with each other, okay? Now, let's talk about forgiveness. First of all, I want to say that God is our model in forgiveness as in many, many other things in life. Listen to these words. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Now, listen. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We're to forgive each other in the same way that God forgives us. So the question then becomes, well, how does God forgive us? 1 John 1, 9, the verse we read earlier. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Folks, God does not forgive everybody's sin. He forgives the sins of the people who confess that they've done wrong and ask God for forgiveness and put their faith in Christ. If God just forgave everybody, everybody would go to heaven. Folks, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. God forgives us when we agree that we're wrong. We've, we've sinned against God, and we've broken his law. So, what is forgiveness? Well, there's three Hebrew words and four Greek words in the Old and New Testament that are translated in the English as forgive or forgiveness. And here, 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 but here are the two main ideas. One is to pardon, to pardon. I'm going to pardon you. I'm not going to make you pay for this for the next 15 years. I'm going to lift the penalty and pardon you. The other is to take away. I'm going to remove the barrier that this offense created between us. I'm going to remove the barrier so that our relationship can go forward. Those are the two central ideas. These are illustrated in uh, two verses. This is Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34 where God said this, 
ta talking about Israel. He said, I will forgive and never again remember their sins against them. When God forgives, he pardons us. He never, ever holds it against us again. And then here's the other verse, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Folks, when you confess to God and God forgives you, he removes the barrier. It'll never, that barrier is not going to be there again. Every time we sin against God that we're willing to confess, he removes the barrier, and that's why our relationship with God can continue. So forgiveness then is a godly response to an apology. We're simply doing what God did for us. We're simply doing that for each other. We're choosing to forgive. And when we do, our relationship can go forward. When we don't, that emotional barrier sits there. And the next time there's an offense, I said this earlier, there's another barrier and then another, and, a, and that's the way people build walls between them. And, and that relationship will never get better until somebody begins to tear the wall down on their side. And it can be better if somebody will. Somebody say, yeah, but what if they're the main problem? Okay, let's say you're only 5% of the problem. You confess you're 5% and the wall's 5% gone. And then maybe they'll begin to confess their sin. All right, now I want to say just a few words before we close about what forgiveness does not do. Because a lot of people have the idea that uh, forgiveness, that sin is no big thing. You just, you sin, yeah, but you just ask God to forgive you and everything's back like it was. Let me say a few things. Forgiveness does not destroy our memory. You may have heard people say, if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. Folks, that's not true. Everything that's ever happened to us is stored in the human brain. And it, it seeps down into the subconscious or unconscious mind, and you won't be thinking about it every day, but from time to time, the memory comes back to you of what they did. And secondly, forgiveness does not remove all the painful emotions. When the memory comes back, the emotions come back. The feeling of being hurt, the feeling of sad, the feeling of anger, many, many feelings come back. With that memory comes back the emotions. Now, what are you going to do with that? When they have apologized, you have forgiven them, and the memory comes back, and the emotions come back. I believe you, and you know what I'm feeling again. But I thank you that I forgave that. Now help me to do something good today. And you don't allow your memory and your emotions to control your behavior. Because if you do, you'll go sin against them. You'll retaliate against them. One guy said to me, Dr. Chavin, my wife ran off with another man. I went over there where her car was parked in the parking lot of their apartment. I took my knife and I hit all four of her tires. I said, you can go to jail for that. He didn't think about that. So by nature, we want to make them pay. When the pain comes back, we want to make them pay. No, 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 no. We've made a choice to pardon and remove the barrier. So now help me to do something good. And you move out, maybe to express a love to them in a powerful way by speaking their love language. Number three, forgiveness does not remove all the consequences of sin. Let me illustrate. The Bible says very clearly, don't get drunk. Let's say I break that and I get drunk. And I get in my car driving down the highway and I run into a telephone pole and wreck my car and break my leg. 
right there in that car, I can apologize to God, I can confess to God that what I did was wrong, and God will forgive me right there in that car. But my car is still wrecked and my leg is still broken. Are you with me? Folks, we're always worse for having sinned. Now, some consequences are more than others, depending on what we do. You know, someone's sexually unfaithful to their spouse and they have multiple affairs and they get a sexually transmitted disease and they can break off all of that and come back and apologize and their spouse can forgive them and they can work on their marriage, but they still got the disease. So look, folks, when God says don't do this, we're better off not to do it. If God says do this, we're better off to do it because every command of God flows out of his heart of love. He, he, he gave them to us. Don't do this and do this. He gave it because he loves us. He wants us to have the best possible life on earth. And so let's recognize we're, we're going to miss out on something when we sin. So, so sin doesn't remove all the consequences. I mean, forgiveness doesn't remove all the consequences. And then number four, forgiveness does not rebuild trust. I tell you where I ran into this most often in my office was where one of them had been sexually unfaithful and then they had broken off that relationship and repented and came back in the marriage and the spouse has forgiven them and now they're in my office trying to rebuild their marriage. And if it was a husband who, who sinned, it could have been her just as easily. But she will say in my office, in his presence, she will say, Dr. Chapman, I have chosen to forgive him, but to be honest with you, I don't trust him. And I say, welcome to the human race. Forgiveness does not restore trust. Forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that trust can be reborn. You see, we lose trust when the person's untrustworthy. Trust is regained when they demonstrate that they can be trusted. So I would say to that husband, if you want her to trust you again, here's my suggestion. You say, honey, my computer is yours anytime you want to look at it. My phone is yours anytime you want to look at it. If I tell you I'm going over to George's house to help him work on his car, if you want to come by there and see if I'm there, that's fine, darling. I'm through with deceit. I've hurt you enough. I don't want to ever hurt you again. You take that approach, she'll come to trust you again. Three months, six months, whatever, she'll come to trust you again because you are now demonstrating that you're trustworthy. And then the last one I want to say is that forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. It does most of the time. But here's the situation I'm talking about. Here's a husband who leaves his wife and two kids, runs off California, marries the girl he, quote, fell in love with, and he's out there in California another whole life, doesn't have any contact with his wife or kids for 15 years. And then he has an encounter with God, and his whole life is turned around. And he's studying the Bible, and he's growing in his faith in God, and he realizes, man, I need to go back and apologize to my wife and my two kids for what I did to them. And he should. And so he goes back and he apologizes to his wife and apologizes to his kids. And they can forgive him and they should forgive him. But he and his wife are not going to be reconciled. He's already remarried to somebody else. And she may be by that time too. So confession doesn't always result in reconciliation. But we still should always go back and deal with our past failures. His kids may decide they want to have a relationship with him. And it's possible that they could begin to build a relationship with him. It's their choice on whether they do that or not. But, but confession is always right and forgiveness is always right. Okay? So what if the person does not speak your apology language? They apologize, but it doesn't connect with you. Well, by nature, you will question their sincerity. 
you will question their sincerity. And that's why, if you have done that, that's why, you, that's why you question their sincerity, because it doesn't sound sincere to you. But by faith, I'm suggesting that you choose to forgive them. Now that you know there's at least five apology languages, and you can just say to yourself, well, they're not speaking it, it the way I wish they would. It, it doesn't, doesn't feel like sincerity to me. But I guess that's what their parents taught them. So they did apologize in one of these languages, and I'm going to choose to forgive them. Far better to err on the side of forgiving than to hold it and not, not forgive them. Uh, so, but, so two things I'm saying. One, I want you to talk about this and share with each other what you consider to be a sincere apology so you can both learn how to be more effective in communicating your sincerity. But secondly, I want to say this. Let's choose to forgive, even if they're whatever language they're speaking. Because otherwise, the relationship is not going to go forward at all. Okay? All right, I'm going to stop there. So, uh, uh, I, I would encourage you to take the quiz at fivelovelanguages.com on this and discuss it with each other. So, let me just ask you a question. Whom do you need to forgive? They have apologized, but you haven't chosen to forgive yet. Whom do you need to forgive? And the other question is, to whom do you need to apologize? I cannot tell you how many fractured relationships between parents and adult children that I've seen reconciled when a parent is willing to go to an adult child and apologize for their failures. I'm not saying that the parent caused the child to do whatever they've done, but because we're not perfect, let's identify what we need to apologize for and go apologize to that adult child. And that may be the first step. I don't know whether they'll forgive you or not, but it may be the first step in finding reconciliation with adult children. And that's true in a marriage relationship. It's true in a, with parents and children. I've sometimes said this to parents, apologize to your children when you yell and scream at them because it's not kind. Parents have said to me, but if I apologize to my kids, won't they lose respect for me? Oh no, they gain respect. They already know what you did was wrong. You apologize, you're teaching them, you're modeling for them what apology is. And you're teaching them a huge thing to be learned in life that when we do wrong, we apologize and then we forgive each other. Whew, wow. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've been able to spend together today. For the reminder we've had in all of our music throughout the day of the wonderful fact that you are a loving God and a forgiving God. That your mercy and your grace are extended to us forever. And that when we come to you, you're always willing to forgive. So Father, give us, give us a heart to apologize when we do wrong to, to each other. And give us a heart to forgive so that our relationship can continue to grow in our marriages and with our parents, with our children, and with other people that we're close to. And deliver us from ever wanting to take revenge. But Lord, let us leave it in your hands. If they're not willing to forgive us, then let us put them in your hands and turn them over to you and release them to you. And turn and, and, and release our anger and our hurt to you and not carry it around and trusting you to do what is right with them. But Lord, help us 
to be loving and forgiving. I pray this for our good, and I pray this for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online. And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.